cooperation and in competition, exploiting the flaws that we discover in each other's kludgy operation. So that we, uh, well, think of this. Have you ever played in a chess game where you made a move and only later realized what a smart move it was, but not admitted? <laughs> you know, you were just lucky, but you've got a le- great rationalization for it later. I think that phenomenon is actually ubiquitous. That a great deal of the behavior that we engage in, a great deal of the very well-designed behavior that we engage in, we only think we understand, we only think we have to understand. We, in fact, have only very limited understanding of it and don't need to have the understanding that tradition would say we have. There's this humanistic tradition which says this godlike mind is required to explain the adroitness with which we get through the world and the wonderfulness of our institutions. No. The wonderfulness of our institutions can be, to a surprising degree, explained with the same Darwinian mechanisms that we explain the wonderfulness of the design of organisms. Namely, there's a long, long history of trial and error, and the features that we have today in culture that we prize are not the products of human genius, they're products of a Darwinian trial and error process going on in culture over years, which we, we like to think we invented ourselves, but we are more the beneficiaries than the creators of those structures. Applying that then to the, to the human mind, I think that's what a human mind is. It's a, uh, an organization which is not just evolved uh, genetically, but that basically what, what happens is bringing up a child in a social world what you're doing is installing thousands of apps in the and meta apps and apps on top of apps on the hardware of the brain, which is profoundly unlike the hardware of your iPhone, because it's made of all those billions of obstreperous neurons. And the trick is to see how the installation of cultural apps on this hardware takes place. But I think we know that. I think we know something about that, too. Um, how am I doing for time? Use up my time. Uh, five or ten minutes. Oh, I'm, okay. I'll take another minute or so. I don't know if you've seen Deb Roy's uh, spectacular work on the, the Human Speech Home Project, where he got this tremendous data set of his own son's uh, learning language. And what he can now answer is, on average, how many times had a particular word of English been spoken in Davin's presence before Davin started trying to say the word? And it's not very many, it's about five. And... Uh, many interesting uh, uh, patterns emerge and are beginning to emerge from that data set now. But if you think about it, remember, a word is a meme. How do you install a meme? Well, the first time the kid hears it, it's just a sound. Second time the kid hears it, it's 
a somewhat familiar sound, and maybe there's something about the context that's the same. Third time, the kid hears it a little bit more. Pretty soon, by a process of gradual installation, a structure gets established, a little tiny microhabit in the brain, which is then available to be exploited in various ways. And, of course, not always well. Uh, somebody mentioned the Stroop test earlier today. A Stroop test is a perfect example of where, where you have all these apps in your head that you can't turn off, and they are firing. Uh, uh, the words are, you're reading the words, you're saying the words, you can't, you can't prevent this app from firing. Uh, and normally it's a good thing that it fires, but here's a case where, where there's interference. Um, the first talk we heard um, discussed, no, it was Fiery's talk, which was discussing uh, the relationship between sort of controlled cognition and, and habit and, and the sort of uh, uh, brute associations and so forth. And I think he was on the right track there. He was talking about um, how what the high-level controlling mind is is a patchwork of kludges made up of the exploitations of the underlying habits, some of which are genetically encoded, but mo most of which are themselves uh, acquired by uh, basically Pavlovian mechanisms early in childhood. Uh, I'll stop there. Thank you. A couple of quick questions. Nobody started. Um, yeah. I'm trying to understand the interaction between the cultural component and the things that are more, I don't know what to call it, more intrinsic to the mind. It'd just be helpful. An example that's going through my head is this is a fact from child language development, which is that if you look at, say, children learning to use the word, say, that children to refer to multiple, you know, pluralizations. Yeah. But pluralizations that are awkward, like children rather than child. Yeah. What you see is you see that early on they get it right. Yeah. Then they go through a period when they they've they've discovered some system and now they're over systematizing and, right. and then they say child for a while until yeah, so they want the exceptions again. Hold it and things mm -hmm. like that. Right. And then they get back. Yeah. And it, that that dip is intriguing because it feels like the meaning of the word sort of the copycatting feels good for the first part, but the rule learning feels less perhaps some adults said that hey, this is how you form it, but it feels more like at least my understanding literature, that's a rule that's just inducted by the by the child at some primitive level, which is an interesting interface between while the culture is giving some things, the brain and all of our brains are discovering this other thing. Is that, I'm trying to understand how you think of those kind of interfaces. It feels like not everything can be coming from the outside. Something is... is that I'm a, a, myself inclined to be a real renegade about this and, and say that the, the innate components of the language acquisition device have been hugely overestimated mm. and that uh, uh, what's really happening is that 
for reasons we don't yet understand, um, there really are um, optimal solutions to certain sorts of communicative problems that are discovered by by uh, exploration. I mean, take the Nicaraguan sign language, where where you have these this brand new language which gets more grammatical in a very short period of time. I don't think that shows us much about what's genetically encoded. I think it shows what happens when what's genetically encoded is an intense desire to communicate and uh, a circumstance where you have a bunch of kids running around who who have a lot of time on their hands. They're just they're playing and having fun, and they're just being kids, and they're very plastic, very labile, and they're just exploring the heck out of out of the possibilities, and they're turning their home sign into languages and patterns are being created in front of your eyes. And the fact that the patterns look very much like the patterns of of actual natural languages. Uh, doesn't speak to the fact that there's an innate mechanism that's biased that way, but it speaks to the fact that it turns out that for, there's some reason why this is the efficient way of doing language. Um, that's, that's, I put it much too simple. But I think one ought to resist the um, innateness view more than is often the case. Um, because, after all, if you pass the buck to the biology and say, no, that's innate, then we want to know, and how did, mm-hmm. how did the innate uh, structures get genetically uh, uh, implanted in the brain? And there better be some answer in terms of how uh, the early, our ancestors' early explorations with language sort of drove them into these, into these patterns. So I think that the uh, you know, with, with bird song, we have good examples, right? There's some bird song that is yep. innate, mm-hmm. and the birds will produce the song yep. even if they're never exposed to it, and others mm-hmm. which are learned in different yep. similar species. So there, there's an example where we can actually distinguish, unlike the humans, between the two possibilities yep. and find evidence for both. Yep. And I suspect it's probably similar in human basic <coughs> language. So I don't think, I think that, you know, we... It's, there are definitely going to be features of the mind which are important. Oh, sure. Of course there are. Of course there are. But just, I would say, a lot less than has been advertised. <laughs> and thank you. Thank all of you for coming. Long day. <laughs>